Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Coach Dean. I have known Coach Dean for probably about 15 years at this point. I knew him when he was primarily a running coach, and now he is a mental performance coach. He helps athletes to work through whatever is keeping them from performing at their best, helps them overcome injury, hopes that helps them overcome their fears of injury, and ultimately helps athletes become better performers and better versions of themselves. Dean is a wealth of knowledge, and I am thrilled to get him on here to share all of this great information with all of you. So let's tune in. Coach Dean, how are you today? I am doing awesome. That is wonderful here. So it's really funny, actually, when I said that. I went into the store the other day, and he's like, how are you? I'm like, I'm awesome. And he's like, okay. <laughs> he's like, what makes today so awesome? I'm like, why can't every day be awesome? <laughs> well, it's true. That's so funny, because I am an optimistic person in general, and generally I'm in pretty good moods. But, you know, you got, I, some people will, will respond to that kind of, you know, like, wow, that's pretty cool, you know, or whatever. But then I'll t- say something a little bit off the cuff, like, well, I'm on this side of the dirt. <laughs> Got to be a good day, you know, be, being true. on the other side of the dirt. So, you know, I play with it a little bit. Yeah. You have to, like, I'm always either, either say amazing or awesome. People mm-hmm. are just like, oh, I haven't gotten that one yet today. Exactly. Which is sad. Like, people should be happy. Exactly. <laughs> Make a choice. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, let's get into it a little bit. So... You have, I actually knew you initially as a running coach. You have since then transitioned into the mindset side of things. So I want you to, first of all, share your story a little bit of how this all came about. Well, it's a long story, but I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. My uh, graduate, postgraduate work was in sports psychology. And actually, I used it ongoing as a running coach with my running athletes. Um... And then um, in the late 1990s, I decided, you know, I really like this stuff. And I decided that that was a direction I wanted to go to actually make it my actual full-time job. At the time, I was working in corporate America. Um, So then I went, I uh, furthered my knowledge by taking a certification program in mental game training. So I became a a certified mental game coaching professional. Um, and by the early 2000s had built up enough clientele that I went out on my own and became a mental game coach, which now I work with all athletes of all kinds of sports, any performers. Uh, That includes um, musicians, singers, performers on stage, public speakers, uh, as well as uh, executive coaching for managers and things like that in business. But the bulk of my work is done with athletes from all different sports. Okay. So when we talk mental game coach, as a, obviously everyone's going to be a little bit different, but as a general, what does that mean? Think of um, everything you do in your sport. You think about doing physical. You master a skill, you become stronger, faster, you can jump higher, uh, do all these different things, but they're all physical. Everything that's not physical is mental. You learn tactics to a game. Well, you have to learn that. That's a mental thing of how I approach the game or my opponent. Um, There are the personal skills such as discipline, motivation, focus, uh, stress management, 
um, managing confidence, etc. Again, all mental game aspects. So everything that's not physical, think that's falls into under the game of mental game. Awesome. And so when you're doing as or as a mental game coach, then you're looking at you're dealing with performance, you're dealing with injuries, you're dealing with all aspects of it. Then, correct. Uh, you, you know, again, whether you're at the peak of your game and going into a championship game or whether you've been sidelined by an injury and you're not participating at all, your mental game is going to dictate how you're going to perform from there. In that championship game, it's are, are you overwhelmed by anxiety or are you just totally confident and committed to your game and executing plays? If you're injured, are you committed to rehab? Are you committed to coming back? Are you doing all those things to keep your mindset where it needs to be to rehab as fast as possible? In either case, your mental game is the key. Mm-hmm. For sure, 100%. So let's get into that competition side of things a little bit mm-hmm. since you um, did mention that and it's something I wanted to dive into. So we all go through our training days and that's the majority of what we do. But for some reason, some people respond to competition or everyone responds to competition a little bit differently. It may amp you up or you may choke and it can really affect you negatively. Um, so on that negative side of things, how do you work with an athlete or what do you do with an athlete to work on overcoming those, um, that anxiety feel that happens? That's a really great <laughs> question. And I will tell you that, that uh, uh, a huge portion of the athletes who come to me suffer from performance anxiety of some kind. So that is a major issue. thing I'll tell you first is that there's no single solution to all of them. They have to be uniquely applied to the individual. What, what are those specific issues that are causing that anxiety? Uh, and then how does it manifest itself in performance? So, so th- there's no single technique or single approach that helps everybody. But one of the things we have to do is step back and say, well, why do they have anxiety? Well, think about it. Uh, your anxiousness, your stress comes from your appraisal of a situation. You're looking at the situation. You're telling yourself certain things about that situation that are threatening, dangerous. Uh, well, again, that's to your ego, your image, uh, your self-esteem, your confidence, um, how you appear to others. But it starts with your appraisal of that situation. So that's where I start. I start with how do you view that competition? How are you viewing that championship thing? Is this all or nothing? Is this do or die? Or is this, wow, a chance for me to show my skills two very different ways of viewing it mm-hmm. so we start with the logic we start with defining that lay of the land then we back into that and say okay can we reframe it can we help you tell a different story about that competition that disarms it makes it less threatening therefore you're less stressed therefore you can perform at a higher level and exhibit all the skills that you actually have um, we can desensitize you to that stress step by step by doing certain relaxation, progressive relaxation, visualization exercises and like that so that we slowly reduce your stress as we get closer and closer to that competition. Um, we can work with self-talk and um, you know, give you different phrases, uh, mantras, affirmations, things to focus on that are positive and self-affirming that help you get through a stressful situation uh, instead of having it overwhelming. 
Um, so again, no single approach, depends on the individual. Some work better, sometimes it's a combination of all those kinds of things and more. That makes sense, that makes sense. Let's talk about reframing a little bit. Um, it's, it's a word that I've kind of have really incorporated into kind of my own mindset stuff recently, um, just reframing those thoughts that, that we have. Um, what, what do you do with your athletes as far as that reframing goes to get them out of that negative mindset? So think of, I like to think of reframing as telling yourself a story. And you will tell yourself a story that makes sense to you. You're going to tell yourself a story based on your own history, your experiences. And so you will frame an event, because really things are just events. They're not good or bad in themselves. We have lots of people that go through very traumatic things, and some come out fine, and other people are really traumatized by it. Um, so it's not the event but it's how we, what story we tell ourselves about the event. It's the framework we put around that, that event. So one of the things you want to explore is, well, what are you telling yourself about it? Um, are you making it more threatening, more awful than it really is? Well, that's a choice. So what we want to do, we can do it overtly and just by saying, well, you know, the glass is half full or half empty, okay? frame. Neither one is wrong, they're both right, but which one facilitates you in functioning better? That's what we're really looking at, execution. Which description of this event helps you perform better? So again, it's not whether it's half full, half empty, it's which one of those views, which story are you telling yourself that helps you perform better? If it's, it's half gone, therefore I gotta step up to the plate, cool, it's half gone. Don't judge it. If it's half full, wow, I still have half left to prove myself or whatever, great, it works for you. So the idea of framing and reframing is what's the story it tells you and can we have you tell a story that facilitates performance? Awesome, that makes a lot of sense. How much during that time are you digging into past beliefs as far as what has triggered a lot of these thoughts? Good question and um, in a way a sensitive question. So I am not a therapist, I'm not a counselor and therefore there's a certain line that though I'd like to know something about someone's history and you know some things that might have come about, uh, maybe they had a really bad experience at some sporting event, you know, those kinds of things, that might be relevant. Um, you know, the fact that their parents were perfectionistic and had high standards and now they've adopted these belief systems, mm, marginally so. The fact is I have to deal with the athlete today. And so some of that information is good, but I'm not gonna go and delve deep into that because again, that's more like therapy and counseling and I don't wanna stay in your past. I wanna bring you up to today and, and into your future and just say, but today you have a choice of how do you wanna frame your story? Do you wanna frame it in a way that's gonna facilitate your growth, facilitate your performance or not? And what are some of the techniques, tricks, uh, strategies in order to help you frame it in a way that help you perform better. That's what I'll help you do. So I, I'm more of, 
yeah, a little bit of history, but let's really deal with right now and lay the groundwork for the future to be even better. Awesome. Speaking of kind of living in the past and that sort of thing, um, I've read something recently and it made a lot of sense to me because I'm like, we all, like, why do we do this? That, like, say we're lifting or racing, whatever it is, we have a bad day, we have a bad lift, we have a bad race. For some reason, we that's all that gets stuck in our head, not the 50 other good ones we had in the past. Um, so how do you work with Nathalie to, like, get over that miss and remember all those other good times, performances that they had? It's funny because that, again, is something that is so prevalent in the athletes that come to me. Um, first, let's take a look at just the mindset of a highly driven athlete. High-performing athletes will typically, typically look at what can I improve on? Well, if you think about it, that question, if you're looking at what you can improve on, it means it's something that you're not doing very well or haven't done up to whatever standard. You're looking at what's wrong, and you're focusing on what's wrong in order to improve it. So the mindset of a highly driven athlete is driven by what I'm doing wrong. So the things that stick in our mind is the bad day, the bad performance, the skill I can't produce like I should under pressure or something. And then I want to go work on that to make it better because that's my weak point. So in some ways, a driven athlete <laughs> tends by just their very nature to focus on those things, which of course can drive us crazy, which of course can undermine our confidence. Because if I'm good at 99% of the things, but there's this one thing that I'm focusing on that's not so good, then I'm ignoring 99% of the things that I can do well whittles away at my confidence. Now my confidence becomes brittle. Any one little thing can set me off and now I fall apart in competition or in that bottom of the ninth or that last free throw of a game or all those different things. So uh, we have to be able to balance that. And so one of the things we have to start doing is backing away from that perfectionistic, I have to make everything right, to let's acknowledge the things that I do well. Let's even build on those. Sometimes I have to rely on just on those and know that I'm not as good at this and this, even if I'm working at them, but these other really good things might be able to carry me through and help me with the victory or my PR or whatever it might be. Um, one of the terms we like to use is win ugly. So win ugly means, look, stop trying to make it perfect. Stop trying to improve on every last little thing. Remember, the bottom line is at the end of the game is, did you win? At the end of a race is, did you win? Or set a PR, or whatever that might be. At the end of that lift, it's, did you lift it or not? Even if it wasn't pretty, mm -hmm. okay? So we wanna get away from that perfectionistic picture of some performance, get away from trying to pick at all those little things, and instead look at the end results. And for us in sports, outcome is what we want. We want to win, set a PR, you know, personal best at different sports, whatever that might be. Do you feel a lot of the high-level athletes are more the perfectionistic mindset? Oh, yes. De that, definitely. Absolutely. Um, in fact, there's one whole s section that I work with my athletes, is, which is just perfectionism. <laughs> and it's not that perfectionism, and I like to call it, say perfectionistic tendencies, are bad. They're not. Think about it. They got us where we are today. You wouldn't be at this level if you didn't have some of those. 
but at some point they can backfire on you. Your strength becomes your weakness. Mm -hmm. And so it's how do we make these perfectionistic tendencies work to our benefit? How do we get these things to make me a better athlete and not drive me crazy? <laughs> There's the key right there. <laughs> yep, yep. Easier said than done, but it can be done. There's a balance. Yeah. Are you doing most of your work specifically with them during practice or do you do a lot of it outside practice? Majority of my work are one-on-one -on -one sessions outside of practice before or after. And my approach is, I see myself as a teacher as much as a coach. So I teach a skill or a technique. I will coach them on it and prompt them and help them get better at it. Ultimately, they have to take that skill or technique and go into the practice session and use it. Pra use it in practice and see how it works. Tailor it to themselves. Kind of tweak it a little bit sometimes. When they get good at practice and, and performing that skill, maybe it's ability to focus, and, and they find that, oh, I can focus in this way when I'm doing this thing. Great. They get good at that. Then what we want them to do is take that same skill and now apply it in a competition. Again, now the higher the level, the stress, and the different things that go on there, can you still perform that mental game skill in that? We want you to get good at that. Then, of course, we want to get it to higher. Okay, now not just uh, a competition, but maybe a championship competition or the divisional or whatever the next levels are and keep building on that skill in ever-increasing stressful environments where you really master the skill and now you can have that skill and you can exercise that ability to focus regardless of the scenario, regardless of whether you're in a you know, in a stadium full of 80,000 people and, oh, by the way, you're the visiting team. That kind of thing. Okay. Do you, this may be a hard question to answer, but do you feel that certain types of people are able to do that better than others or it's just very dependent on each individual? No, that's a great question. What I'll tell you is everyone has a different ability to do anything, physical or mental. We are, yeah, this is one of those sad things and people will debate it, but we are not created equal. <laughs> you know, we are not. This is, this is a lie and um, we can certainly do all we can to optimize our own unique abilities. But look, I could practice all I want. I could train exactly like Michael Jordan and I will never be Michael Jordan, okay? We are not created equal. So even when it comes to mental game skills, everyone will have um, certain propensities that they can do better than others or not as well as some people than others. One of the things I do notice is this. The athlete who is very introspective can really look inside and say, this is what was going on. Oh, this is what I was telling myself. Oh, this was what the image was that I had going into that competition. And they actually know this stuff are easier to work with because they really have the raw materials. They understand what's going on inside them. Now I can work with it. The person who comes to me and says, I have no idea. I just had a bad day. Tough. Because I got to get them to tune in and be more introspective about, no, no, no. It didn't just happen. What were you telling yourself? 
What was your image of that competition before you got there? Um, what did you think about outcomes or all these different things? There were precursors to that poor performance, not just physical ones, but mental ones as well. So the person who's more introspective, easier to work with. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Let's dive into the injury side of things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, with any athlete, coming back off of injury can be a scary thing. It can be definitely be a mind game, uh, especially if, at least I feel, it's the ones who, like, traumatic injury, someone taken out of the knee, that sort of thing, you know exactly why that injury happened. Mm-hmm. But those non-contact injuries, those things that just happen that you really don't know why they happened – um, I see a lot more fear coming back out of those. So um, let's talk about overcoming those fears, returning to sport after injury, and, and everything that kind of goes into play with that. You're, you're right. Uh, so, so the thing about the, the injuries you know, that are traumatic, it's like, okay, now I'm going to come back, or now I know what happened, or I know how to avoid or do whatever. The ones that happen, like just from, for lack of a better term, overuse injuries. I, I, out of the blue, I pulled this muscle. No. Not really. I mean, again, there were precursors. You probably had warning signs. You, this is probably your third hard day in a row. Or, or, or. We could probably figure out why. You're not truly a victim here. Okay? <laughs> um, but uh, in any case, it does um, bring in uh, fears about return to action. So I actually developed a whole program just on the mental game and rehab. And it's a six-session program specifically applying mental game techniques to your rehab pro, pro, uh, program that you're going, your physical rehab program. So one of the things we have to deal with, uh, well, it, it, it applies what we do with, with all other mental game stuff. We, we start with goals. Do you have goals? Uh, or you, you're, you're now afraid to set goals because you're afraid of failing because you're not sure about that future. Okay. Um, do you now have a fear of re-injury? could be a very real fear. Um, uh, are you even really fully 100% recovered or not? As in, like, has the doctor released you? <laughs> you know, are we jumping the gun here? The doctor's maybe saying, you know what, you're not ready for the physical therapy. Or you're not ready to really start down that. You need full recovery first. Well, we need maybe, maybe then deal with just the healing process and such like that. Um, but... The physical development in rehab goes lockstep with the mental development. So certainly, if I still feel pain in my knee, it's gonna be pretty hard for me to sit there and be confident. I'm gonna be just 100%, I feel great, I'm gonna be able to make a cut on the field like I used to when I'm feeling pain. So So we have to go and make sure is your knee fully rehabbed? Are you strong enough anymore? Can you do one-legged squats? Can you do all these different things? Well, if you can't, then even physically, this is unrealistic at this time, let's just work on mental toughness as in the discipline of doing your physical therapy, uh, the staying focused on where you wanna be, the, the doing visualization on healing, and those kind of elements. Why? We're not gonna talk about making cuts on the field um, that may be at some future date. You're not ready for it to handle that. We don't want to handle that fear at this time. We want to stay right here in the moment, the present, which is what we control, mm-hmm. and say, how do you right now today handle your physical rehab, your physical therapy, 
to the best of your ability to get the most out of it. That's where we want to be. If that goes by, okay. Now we, the, the doctors release you, physical therapy's release you, they're telling you, no, your knee's 100%. Now we know if they truly say, no, you can do one-legged squats, you can do one-legged hops, you can do box jumps, all these different things. There is no reason for you not to be out on the field. Now we talk purely mental stuff. And now we'll go into what is the fear? How do we overcome that fear? Um, and part of that is confidence building, doing small things and proving certain things to yourself. Okay. Um, and we get back to some of the things I mentioned before, the affirmations, the visualization, the frame, framing and reframing of what you're going through instead of being drudgery, drudgery, awful, oh my God, will I ever get there? A different frame. Every step I take, I'm getting closer to my goal. Different frame, same situation. How many athletes or have you worked with athletes that haven't fully gotten past that return to sport and got re-injured because they weren't out of their head yet? Hmm. I don't know though that I've had anyone in that situation. Okay. I don't think so. I'm just curious because I can just... I feel that, you know, if you are a little bit more hesitant in a situation, it like it kind of puts you at more risk of re-injury because of you, your body's compensating or you're stopping before, not being braced for someone to hit you, that sort of thing. At, you're 100% correct. Um, if we perform tentatively, you are far more likely, first of all, to perform poorly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, you're going to perform poorly. But also, since it's not fluid in motion, regardless of your sport, you're going to be more likely to, to incur or encourage the opportunity to re-injure something. You're not doing it fluidly. You're not doing it the way you should because you're hesitant. Mm -hmm. You're holding back. You're resisting. And, of course, that's the antithesis of what we really want out there on the field. Yep. What are some other just important aspects that you uh, kind of do on a regular basis with athletes, uh, maybe important concepts that we haven't covered yet today that you feel would be really important for people to hear? Uh, okay, uh, well, first let me say that, um, you know, we've attacked a number of different individual topics here today, but when someone comes to me, I don't do individual sessions. Mm -hmm. Let's take something as simple as confidence. And I'm suffering from issues of lack of confidence. Um, so I've got doubts, okay? So why do you have doubts? Well, it might be your self-talk. Or it may be the images of some outcome in the future. Or it may be about some past experiences and you're dwelling in the past. Um, it, it could be um, that uh, you... Um, create all kinds of anxiety and stress over competition itself, and therefore that um, uh, decreases your confidence. But notice, each one of those things I just mentioned are all different, unique topics. Confidence, the self-doubts, um, your anxiety, um, uh, dwelling on the past, living in the future, uh, the image that you have, all those are different things. But they all overlap to create an issue on confidence. So when someone comes to me, I don't deal with just confidence. 
that would be like, sure, come to me for one session and I'll get you confident. <laughs> it doesn't work. So no. instead, I only do programs. They're between six and 10 sessions. And it's because I want to teach you all of these things that support being mentally tough. And depending on the breadth and depth of those issues depends on how many sessions it would take because each one's I'm going to teach you a new area. I expect you to go out and practice some of these things, come back, we refine it, and then we add on to that one more, one more, and one more. So it's a program to build this foundation from which you can then be mentally tough in a myriad of situations, not just a technique for a thing that might be bothering you today. So that's what I'd say. So a much more holistic approach and um, you know, all these things that we've talked about kind of get wrapped up though. So it's hard to just isolate them. We can talk about them as a topic, but really... It's all be, inclusive. It is all inclusive. For sure. For sure. Are you, when you're working with the athletes, is there a time that you're also communicating with the coach or kind of working with the coach and the athlete together or is it just the athlete? In the ideal world, the coach uh, and with my youth athletes, the parents are, are very much involved. What I'll tell you, however, my experience is the large proportion of coaches feel intimidated um, and do not willingly or very, very openly uh, work with me. I will typically work with the athlete, and if they're a youth athlete, them and the parents, um, and it'll be without um, coaches, again, there are some notable exceptions, don't get me wrong, but it, it's almost as if they have the attitude that they know it all, that they know mental game stuff as well as they know football, basketball, baseball, whatever it is, and therefore I shouldn't be intruding in their world. And that they know how to handle their athlete, and in fact there must be something wrong with them if for some reason that athlete must be reaching out to anyone else. So it's it's a it's an interesting kind of scenario. So most of the time I work in the background. Uh, most of the time the coach never knows I've worked with their athlete. But it's ideal if I can. And in those situations that I have worked with the coach, the athlete, the parents, it's that is the perfect way to work about it because now you have a holistic approach we're all singing the same song we're all there to support that athlete to be the best athlete they can be it's really interesting but i can definitely see that it being that way just knowing um just all the coaches whether i've whether it's ones that i've trained with or just in general knowing coaches throughout my life in different sports uh i can definitely see how they would get that attitude of I know everything. I know what I'm doing. Like so, that's that's interesting. <laughs> it is, <laughs> and it's not to slam them. I mean, you know, they know their stuff. They know basketball better than I know basketball. Oh yeah, and they for know sure. football better than I know football. But I know mental game training better than they do. And it's a matter of of saying, but if you want a holistic approach, then wouldn't you have the best people come in in yeah. their expertise? It's like in football, you have a weight training coach just for just for, for strength for strength <laughs> yeah. training, right? Why? Because they're strength training. They, they don't know football per se. They're strength training. And you have special coaches just for that. Well, guess what? How about <laughs> mental game training too? Yeah. And maybe, you know, I, I feel like the mental side of things has really come to the forefront. Mm. You know, I say more recently, past, you know, five, ten years, a little bit more so. Um, 
So maybe down the road, things will change as far as people understanding that we need these all directions, but who knows? <laughs> no, you are right. Uh, you know, and I've seen the growth over the past 20, 30 years, how much more accepted it is. And, you know, there probably isn't um, any single Olympic team right now uh, that doesn't have a mental game coach of some mm-hmm. kind assigned to those teams now. I mean, it's just an accepted practice. Most, most professional teams in, uh, you know, football, basketball, baseball have one assigned or on call for them. So it's, it's getting much more mainstream. But still, uh, upward battle on some, uh, uh, with some coaches. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to go to our conversation we had, whenever we met, what was it, two, three weeks ago, <laughs> uh-huh. when we were talking some about stress and how that can, one, affect performance, but mm-hmm. also impact injury and impact rehab itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you said that you had come across some research as far as how all that goes. So tell us a little bit about kind of what you found there yeah so stress is an interesting thing so you know stress um first we need some stress in our lives or we become a blob uh (laughs) you know um and and even for peak performance um you know if you look at this like being totally just waking up out of a sleep versus being totally stressed out and anxious somewhere in between is where we're at our peak for activation levels for performance. We gotta be alert, we gotta be ready to go. We can't be half asleep, yet we can't be so anxious that I'm distracted and nervous. So, so stress itself, not all bad. There's a certain need for it. Um, but when it gets to certain levels, we also know that um, ongoing stress uh, increases all kinds of hormones, cortisol, and all these other kinds of things that, that happen to your body that are very bad for you. So it, it really affects your immune system. Therefore, especially when you're training hard as an athlete, you are far more likely to get ill, come down with illnesses, just a common cold, because your immune system is compromised. Why? Because of stress, because it, okay, so there's a chain reaction here. There's some uh, really good uh, studies uh, regarding stress in athletes and incidents of injuries. We know that the higher the stress levels of an athlete, and we're talking overall stress levels, life stress, okay? Um, That if they experience lots of life stress, that they are at a higher risk of getting injuries on the field. Um, So we want to be able to manage that. Um, All the mechanisms aren't necessarily known. Could be uh, they're preoccupied. Could be they lose that one moment of focus on the field. Could be um, um, that the muscles are more tense when you're anxious or stressed out and therefore more likely to get injured or strained. Whatever the, we just know the results. The results in the data show highly stressed athletes are injured more frequently and um, more severely and they take longer to rehab. So we know that at those, at when stress goes off the charts and it's at a high level, it's not good for, for athletes. Now, when you have an athlete in these situations, is it something you work with or something you refer more to a counselor for? No, that's something I directly work with, yeah. Um, so we uh, uh, stress management techniques, visualization techniques, uh, deep relaxation techniques, pro- progressive relaxation, different visualization exercises. Um, I am a, a certified hypnotherapist, and so there have been occasions where I've used hypnotherapy as part of it. But that's, a, again, just a technique at, uh, on the side. But I work extensively with 
um, stress management uh, and all the approaches that we have. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, awesome. Uh, before we finish up, any last thoughts that you want to um, share with people today or to kind of, do we think you covered everything? Well, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, <laughs> that we did. But uh, no, I, I think uh, one thing I'd just say is that, you know, um, you have to be open to mental game training to benefit from it. And if you're open to it, then, um, then you're ready. Yeah, that, that's the key. When an athlete is ready, when they think, yep, I need this, I'm ready for this, then that's the athlete that can benefit from it. And that's across all disciplines and all sports. That's a great point right there. Awesome. Uh, Dean, Any or if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you at? Um, easiest way is through my uh, website, um, mindsetforperformance.com, and that's the number four, um, or dean at mindsetforperformance.com. Um, and I respond within 24 hours to every inquiry that comes in. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I was um, super excited to get you on here and share your wonderful information with all my listeners. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of Highly Functional. I truly appreciate the time you spend to listen to myself and my colleagues share with you how to become highly functional individuals and how to be highly functional individuals. If you learned great information from this, I would love for you to share it with your friends and help them become highly functioning individuals as well. Until next time, go out and be highly functional.